Okay, good morning. Good morning. How many of you are planning to watch the Super Bowl today? Okay, that's cool. I'm planning to watch it. If you want to come by and watch it together at the Lighthouse Center, you're welcome to join us. We'll open the doors by 3 o'clock, and the game's going to start at 3.30, and uh, we'll have a, a new Super Bowl champion, what, three hours later? I hope it's not the you-know-who. <laughs> 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 the, the team that people love to hate, I think. Okay, but we won't mention their name. Okay, so uh, I want to say a little bit uh, before I get into the, the, the message about justice, I want to say a little bit about Lighthouse. Um, so Pastor Joe mentioned today we kind of celebrate our 16-year anniversary. We're not making a big deal out of it. We had a big 15-year anniversary celebration uh, a year ago. But we always celebrate our anniversary on the first Sunday of February. As you know, the date changes from year to year. But uh, for our purposes, we always say the first Sunday of February is our anniversary because that's when we had our public grand opening. It wasn't really the start of our church. We started several months earlier uh, with uh, our core team, what we called our launch team, and uh, a couple of months of meeting and planning, deciding where we would meet, with the name of the church, our mission, our core values, and all of that. And then we started a meeting on Sundays for worship service. Every week, we used to meet every Sunday morning at International School. But for the first three months, I used to tell our, our people, we had a congregation of about 40 adults at the time, I used to tell them, don't invite your friends. We don't want to be that kind of church. Now, <laughs> what, I, what I said was, don't invite your, your unchurched friends yet. If you've got Christian friends that want to join a church plant and, and help start this new church, that'd be great. But, but don't invite your unchurched friends yet. And you know why that was? It was like we wanted to have three months of just worshiping as a congregation as well as doing training, uh, forming our ministry teams, and uh, doing team building. We were learning a whole lot of new worship songs at the time. But we had about three months to worship together before our public grand opening. And so the purpose for not inviting your unchurched friends yet was to make sure that we know what we're doing and then to try to make sure we know how to do it well. Because, you know, there's a thing they say in ministry, I guess they say this in other places too, but it's that you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You ever heard that? So that was it. We didn't want to give people a bad first impression, so we thought, let's give ourselves three months to get it together. We'll worship every Sunday. We'll try to figure out what we're doing. Uh, pretty much after every one of those worship services, we would have lunch together, and then we would debrief what happened, what went well, what didn't go well, what needs to change, and, uh, and we kept adding new ministries as we went along. And then finally, we had our grand opening on the first Sunday of February uh, in 2001, which is why our, our website and our email address is Lighthouse2001. Uh, February 2001 was when we actually officially, publicly launched. And that was an exciting day. You know, before then, during those three months when we were worshiping, our congregation had about 40 adults, uh, maybe a little bit more, plus our kids. And, uh, and it was great. You know, we were growing together. We were taking this huge risk and launching out to start a new church together. None of us knew what would happen. None of us knew if anybody would come. But we, we used to do that worship every week, and um, we were gearing up and planning for our, our, um, our grand opening. And a couple of weeks before the grand opening, we had our first church retreat. We had our all-church retreat, which is about maybe 50 adults and our kids. And it was great. We had a wonderful weekend. And we actually had somebody come to, come to Christ that week at that retreat, although he wasn't supposed to be at our church yet, right? 
but <laughs> it was pretty cool. Anyway, uh, when we had our grand opening and we did a lot of publicity and we invited our friends and all that, and we were able to do what a lot of church plants do, which is gather a big crowd for the grand opening. So before the grand opening, we were averaging about maybe 50 to 60 adults. Our ministry community, our committed core was about 45 adults. And we were averaging about 50 or 60 adults on a Sunday. And then we had our grand opening and 200 people came. It was awesome. It was exciting and it gave us a whole picture of what it's like to try to serve that many people and park their cars and find seating for them and set up enough chairs and what to do with all their kids and, and all of that. And it was a really exciting day. And I still have this favorite memory of the day. I mean, I have a lot of memories of that day. But one of the things that happened was uh, we were debriefing after the grand opening and we were talking about how exciting it was and all the new people that came and we were sharing about people that we had met or friends who we had invited who actually came and things like that. And I remember uh, one of the uh, single young adult women in our, in our group, she said, uh, somebody said to me, so, you know, a, new, a new person, a visitor, a guest that day, uh, said to me, wow, you guys are really working hard. You know, because we were all the setup and strike and parking and, you know, uh, uh, hosting people. And, and uh, so they said to, this guest said to her, you guys are really working hard. And then she immediately said, yeah, we are, but it's fun. And this first-time guest said, you're the third person today that told me that. So that was pretty cool because I think that when we're in ministry together and we still are together in ministry after 16 years and so many have joined us along the way, uh, we work hard, but it is fun. It's, it's fulfilling because uh, we're serving the Lord and we're advancing His kingdom and we're building uh, His church. Now, what happened after that? Uh, was sort of expected, but we had 200 people on the grand opening, and over the next couple Sundays after that, we had about 110 people. And so that's only about half of the people that came to the grand opening, but we weren't disappointed because we knew that we should expect that. That was pretty typical for new church plants is you can gather a big crowd for grand opening, and if you're, if you're typical, maybe about half of those people will come back. And so the week after grand opening, we had about 110 people, which was only half of what we had the week before, but it was twice as big as we were before grand opening. So it was really cool, and we began to see uh, God's blessings on us. And one of the things that we said uh, that day of the grand opening and a lot since is we told people, here's our mission. Here's why we're starting this new church. And the mission is the same today. You know what our mission is? It's to share God's grace and truth. It's about sharing something, giving something away, sharing God's grace and truth so people would come to know, love, and serve Jesus. And that was our mission back then in 2001. That's still our mission today. And, and we've also said that God gave us not only a mission, but, but kind of a, a core values of how are we going to carry out that mission. And he gave us three big core values. You know what they are? That, that however we do this ministry, we want God to be seen. We want to do this ministry in a way that helps people to encounter God personally, not just attend a service, not just go someplace not just be a spectator, but we wanted to do church in a way where God would reveal himself. So we wanted God to be seen and for people to encounter God personally. Our second big core value is we said we want people to feel loved. And one of the things we were aware of back then, which I think we're even more aware of today, is that many people have a negative view toward Christianity, toward Christians, toward church. Many people have felt burned or rejected or they've been turned off because they knew some Christians that were hypocrites and that a lot of people had a lot of, I guess what we might call negative baggage toward church. And we thought, well, 
you know, if nothing else, we want them to, to see God and sense God's presence and his reality, and we want people to feel loved. Now, we know and we believe from, from this book, the Bible, that God loves everybody. But most people don't know that, and they don't believe that. But if they're going to come to know that God loves them, often they have to experience it first by feeling loved by God's people. So we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start this church, and we're going to say, this is going to be a come-as-you-are kind of place. If you don't want to tuck in your shirt, you don't have to. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a come-as-you-are kind of place. And we said, we're going to put the thermostat here as much as we can on warm and welcoming. Let's really try to be a warm and welcoming church. In fact, that's why I'm, I'm asking you guys to wear name tags. It's to help us to be a more welcoming church, to get to know each other and then get to, uh, you know, greet and welcome new people who don't have name tags. Uh, so anyway, we said we want to be a warm and welcoming church and a come-as-you-are kind of church, and we want people to feel loved. And if they feel loved and accepted, then maybe they will, you know, let down their defenses and open their hearts, and maybe they, uh, you know, they'll get to, to hear, hear from God or get to meet God and respond to God and then hopefully come to know, love, and serve Jesus. So we said we want people to feel loved and we want them to uh, have opportunities to engage in authentic community. Now back then we were a pretty small church, but now we're a bigger church. And if you're going to really engage in authentic community, it's probably going to have to be something beyond just gathering together on Sunday morning. So we try to offer, you know, lots of opportunities for people to connect with others in smaller settings, like let's go watch the Super Bowl together or get into a small group, join a Bible study, join a join a ministry team, but we want people to feel loved and to engage in authentic community. You know, one thing I heard at a seminar I went to years ago was that people who check out a church basically stay, if they stay, they stay at the church for two reasons. I mean, besides God and, you know, what they're encountering with God. People stay at a church for two reasons. You know what they are? If in that church they experience meaningful relationships and meaningful responsibilities. And if they don't experience those two things, meaningful relationships and meaningful responsibilities, many people after a few months will start to get apathetic or inconsistent or, or maybe start to drift off. So anyway, that's really important. We want people to feel loved, but that's not just on you know, the pastors. Back then, I was the only pastor. But it's on all of us. If people are going to feel like they're welcomed and cared for, uh, it could mean a lot of things. You know, that's why we ask you, you know, to, to park on the street instead of in the parking lot unless you're, what, senior like me? No. <laughs> unless you're older than me or unless you uh, you know, have disabilities or, you know, unless you have small children or something. The, the purpose for that is because we want to be warm and welcoming. You know, uh, it's not a big issue, but sometimes we get so crowded that it's hard for people to find a seat. And then, it, you know what's really helpful then, if you think it's really crowded? If you would scoot in toward the center of your section so that if people come late, they have a place to sit. Anyway, there, there's a lot of things we do to try to be warm and welcoming, and uh, I hope that you'll join us because that's on all of us. The, the third big value, we said we want, we want God to be seen. We want people to feel loved. You know what our third big value is? We want lives to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, this book tells me that everyone is made in the image of God, but it also tells me that that image has become marred and scarred and obscured and uh, kind of broken through our sinfulness and our rebellion and our separation from God. So people are made in the image of God, but that image is hardly recognizable. And as we get connected with God in a restored relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, you know what happens? 
we begin to become more like Jesus, his son, right? The, the more you know him, the closer you get to him, the more you become like him. And as you become like Jesus, you know what's happening? Is the, the image of God in you is kind of getting dusted off and, and shined up again so that God's image becomes more visible in you and that people would look at you and, and maybe wonder about the hope that you have or try to ask you to explain why you have uh, so much love in your heart or why you are still joyful even though you just lost your job or how you can be a person of strong faith even when your marriage is kind of struggling along or, or one of your children is giving you a hard time. And so it's like the closer we get to Jesus and the more we know him, then the more the, more the image of God becomes in us the likeness of God. And so we say we want lives to be changed uh, into the likeness of Jesus. We want God to be seen and people to feel loved and lives to be changed into the likeness of Jesus. And we've been kind of at it for 16 years and I hope a lot more. I hope, you ever thought about this? I hope our best years are yet ahead. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, we're so thankful for all that God has done and his tremendous faithfulness. Uh, we're now a church of about 500 on a typical Sunday counting both services and counting all the children and youth. Uh, we're so thankful for God's faithfulness. We're so thankful for all of you who've joined us along the way. But I hope our best years are yet ahead. Uh, but we gotta stay true. We gotta stay on course, right? Um, we gotta keep uh, loving and uh, sharing the grace and truth of God so that people come to know, love, and serve Jesus. We've gotta be strong on our values. We gotta do everything we can so that when people encounter not just church on Sunday, but when they encounter Lighthouse people, wherever that might be, that God would be seen and people would feel loved and lives would be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Now, for, for all this stuff to happen, uh, one of the things that's going to happen is, you know, we gather in his name, especially on Sundays, we gather in his name, and uh, we want to be the church. We're the church gathered, and then during the week, we're the church scattered. But when we're the church gathered, uh, what is the church, you know? And I think the simplest definition I've heard, or at least to me the most helpful simple definition, is that the church is the presence of Jesus in the world, right? We know Jesus is here, but he's not physically present like he was in Galilee 2,000 years ago. So the church now is the body of Christ, right? He is the head and we are the body, right? He's the shepherd and we're the sheep and he's the king and we're his subjects and he's the father and we're his children and and, and today, Jesus doesn't have a physical body like he did in, in Galilee, in Israel, but his body now is his people, which means that we're the ones that need to make Jesus visible. In fact, I think that's our, our task. Uh, the mission of the church really is to make Jesus visible so that people can come to know him and, and love him and serve him and be changed by him. And so uh, that's really cool. I mean, we started out doing this 16 years ago. I am more excited about it today than ever. And I think one of the reasons is that I, I know God better. I, I hope you're growing closer to know him better. And uh, the closer you get to, to the Lord, the more uh, the things on his heart become the things on your heart. And so we're, we're the lighthouse. We're forging ahead, and I hope our best years are, are yet ahead. And I'm so glad that all of you are with us. And I just... Happy birthday, uh, happy birthday, happy anniversary to you, Lighthouse, because uh, today we celebrate what God has done. Now, we also decided uh, a long time ago to, to call this new church Lighthouse. I can remember when some of us were at Faith Bible and we used to refer to this as the East Side Church Plant. 
before we had a name. And then God gave us this name, Lighthouse. And uh, why is that? Why, why, the, why the Lighthouse? And, you know, when Jesus arrived in the world and he began his ministry, uh, it was said that he was fulfilling an ancient prophecy, an ancient prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, which read, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And that was Jesus, right? Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then as Jesus uh, went about his ministry, uh, one time he was speaking to the people, and he said this in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. And then here's the application. I am the light of the world. Here's what it means for you. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the people who were living in darkness have seen a great light. And then Jesus says, I am the light. I'm the light of the world. And if anybody follows me, they no longer have to remain in darkness. They'll have the light of life. And then Jesus calls people to follow him. They're called disciples, followers of Jesus. And, and to his disciples, Jesus said this. Not only is he the light of the world, but to his disciples, Jesus said this in Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. Right? Any of you that are followers of Jesus, that's his word. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, here's the application, in the same way that that light shines, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others, that they would see your good deeds, and they would give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, this is really important. He doesn't say, uh, let your light shine so they would see your light and they would see your good deeds and give glory to you. Oh, what a marvelous, wonderful, humble servant of God you are. What a great Christian you are. What a great church you have. You know, uh, the, the whole object is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to him. The whole object is, is to, to love in such a way and, and to do our good deeds and our acts of compassion and justice in such a way that they're going to point people to Jesus and that they will reflect well on him. So he says, I'm the light of the world. Then if you follow him, he says, you're the light of the world. And then he says, live in such a way that people will see your lifestyle, your values, your behavior, your acts of compassion, your generosity, your servant spirit. Live in such a way that they'll see you and what you do. And as a result, they will glorify your Father in heaven. This is a wonderful thing. If we're going to be a good church, a fruitful church, a healthy church, a God-honoring church, we have to be really clear on the essentials. Um, when we call this church Lighthouse, let me tell you three facts about a lighthouse. Three facts about a lighthouse, and, and, and I think this has kind of guided our church development uh, as a lighthouse church. Uh, first thing is, a lighthouse serves and saves others, right? A lighthouse, you know, I mean, they were built originally so to, to save ships so they don't get shipwrecked and to help people find their way to safe harbor, right? So that's the first thing about a lighthouse. A lighthouse doesn't exist for itself. It exists for others, to serve others and to save others, and it doesn't exist for itself. And, and so that's why we want to seek to be a, a warm and welcoming presence and a come into our kind of place so that people who, who may be afraid of church or afraid of Christians or turned off to, to church or, uh, or have issues even with God, that people would feel like, Okay, these people, they're real, and they're sincere, 
And uh, they're not in it just for themselves, and they're not just trying to glorify themselves or build their own palace or kingdom, but they're in it to, to help other people and to serve their community and to serve those in need. A lighthouse serves and saves. Uh, let me tell you a second thing about a lighthouse. A lighthouse has to stand on a solid foundation, right? You know, if a storm comes and the waves are crashing, uh, the lighthouse is useless if it just starts to crumble because of the waves and the wind. So a lighthouse has to stand on a firm foundation, on a solid rock. And, and that's true for any church that's going to be a lighthouse too. So we say our foundation, our lighthouse is built on a solid foundation as well. And our foundation is the Word of God and the Son of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the Word of God, the Holy Scripture, the Bible, which we believe is the Word of God written. And it is our authority in all matters of faith and practice. The church does not stand in judgment of the Scriptures and individual Christians. We don't take the Bible and say, oh, I like this part, but I'm going to reject that part. I agree with this, but I don't agree with that. Uh, we're going to say, you know, th this is God's holy word. And rightly interpreted, we stand under it, not above it. And so we're going to do our best to read the word, to study the word, to interact around the word, to preach the word on Sundays. Uh, but that's our, that's our foundation. If we start watering down the word of God or start tampering with it or trying to change it or alter it, then our foundation is becomes shaky. It's like building a lighthouse on sand and the sand is starting to erode, right? So we've got to build on a solid foundation, a solid rock. We can transition. We've been in three different offices, or is it four? Four different offices. We've been in five different schools for Sunday worship. We've had different personnel changes. We've had staff changes. We've restructured a, a few times. We can do all that as long as the foundation stands firm. Some things can change. Other things must not change. And for us, that's our foundation. We're building the church on, the, on, on a solid rock, the Word of God, the Bible, and the Son of God. A lighthouse serves and saves. A lighthouse stands on solid rock. And uh, here's the third thing about a lighthouse. A lighthouse must shine the light. Right? I mean, it could be a beautiful structure, you know, brick and... You know, some of them have wonderful glass, and they make great pictures on calendars and all of that. But a lighthouse does no good unless the light is working, right? The light has to shine, and the light has to be on. And, and that's us, you know. We've got the light of Christ. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the Word of God. And we're supposed to shine the light. We're supposed to be grounded in God's truth. We're supposed to be connected to God's power, His Holy Spirit. And then we seek to shine the light of Jesus. And when you shine the light of Jesus, you know what happens? you begin to push back the darkness of the world, right? The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned, and you begin to push back the darkness. We seek to shine the light of Jesus to push back the darkness. And, and we know there's a lot of darkness, but it's better to, to light one candle, right, than to curse the darkness. And, and maybe sometimes it feels like, oh, our efforts are so small, so meager, we are so few. All we can do is just light a candle here and there. That's far better than standing around cursing the darkness, what a bad world it is, and how the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and how the country seems to be falling apart, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. And sometimes we're discouraged, and often we're concerned. And you know what the Bible says? It doesn't say hate your enemies, vilify your enemies, ridicule those that disagree with you or stand on a, in a different political position than you. You know what the Bible says? It says, love your enemies and pray for them. 
And, and it doesn't mean we can't disagree and sometimes have open debate, but love your enemies and pray for them. A lighthouse shines the light, grounded in God's truth, connected to God's power. We seek to shine the light of Jesus to push back the darkness of this world. You know, another way to say that is, remember Jesus taught us to pray. He says, pray this way, uh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, which kind of means may your name be honored, right? May you be exalted. And Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know what that is? That's Jesus acknowledging that God's will is not perfectly done on earth. It is perfectly done in heaven, but it's not perfectly done on earth. So this is our prayer, and this is also our effort, right? That we would say, Lord, we want your will to be done on earth just as it is already being done in heaven. And, and when, when God's will is being done, and when people are submitted to God's will, you know what that is also called in the Bible? God's kingdom. God's kingdom has come with Jesus, and God's kingdom is present wherever the will of Jesus is being obeyed where people submit their lives under the kingship of Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my Savior and I am your follower and I'll go where you call me to go and I'll do what you call me to do and I'm living under subjection to you as my king. The kingdom is present right there. Jesus says the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God can be within you if Jesus is in you, the king. Right? So a lighthouse, this is what the lighthouse says, shines the light, push back the darkness, extend the kingdom of God where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's what I want to say about our anniversary. Okay, we've been at this 16 and plus years now. And um, I, I, I think, I hope, I pray that our best years are yet ahead. But the foundation is still there. The mission is the same. The values are the same. We need to be the light and shine the light. You know, and lighthouses and lighthouse people, we can't just be concerned about ourselves, our own comfort, our own convenience. Um, we've got to say, Lord, this lighthouse is here to help people and serve people and save people, and I want to be part of it. I want to join with you, Lord, in your great mission. I want to align myself with your great kingdom purposes. I, I want to be the light as you shine the light through me. And through us, through us, right? People caught in a dangerous storm may have their very lives dependent upon the presence of a strategically placed and well-functioning lighthouse. People caught in a dangerous storm may have their very lives dependent upon the presence of a strategically placed and well-functioning lighthouse. Those living in darkness need us to shine the light if they're going to find their way to God or find their way back to God. And we want to do that. We want to connect people with God so they can experience God's purposes for their lives. Now, if we're going to make Jesus visible, then we need to be on two journeys, two journeys at once. Each of us needs to be on two journeys. One is called the inward journey. One is called the outward journey. The inward journey is the journey of spiritual life and spiritual transformation. The inward journey is your spiritual development, your growing intimacy with God. Uh, we need to be on that inward journey. We're, we're not just people running around trying to do good stuff and do good works. We're people that, that need to live from the inside out. We need to have our lives touched and loved and cleansed and forgiven and transformed uh, by Jesus Christ himself 
and we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this deal about the inward journey is absolutely critical. In fact, after we finish this Generous Justice series uh, next Sunday, uh, our next series is going to be called God is Closer Than You Think. And it's going to focus, it's not going to deny, you know, justice and compassion, but we're going to turn inward a little bit more and focus more on how do we cultivate this relationship with Jesus so that it becomes more intimate and more transformational. And how do I actually experience the presence of God more, not just in my head, but in my heart as well? And how do I grow deeper in prayer? And how do I learn uh, better to, to hear the voice of God and to be guided by the Holy Spirit? And so we're, we're going to spend about, uh, I think, what is it, seven weeks or I think six, seven, seven or eight weeks uh, kind of trying to deal with this thing about God is closer than you think. And we'll start that uh, in two weeks, and I hope you'll be with us. But there's the inward journey, and then, of course, there's the outward journey. If the inward journey is my spiritual life and my relationship with God in Christ, the outward journey is my expressing my discipleship. It's expressing my, my outreach and my service and my ministry to the world. And for us as a church, it's expressing our ministry to the world around us. So, you know, we need both, right? The inward journey and the outward journey. When we gather on Sundays, a lot of it is about our spiritual growth. We want to encounter the presence of Jesus through our time together. And that may be through the hearing of God's word proclaimed and taught. And it may be through the worship in song. And it may be through our prayers that we lift up in praise and, and uh, petition and thanksgiving when we're together. It may be by the way that we serve one another in hospitality and in service on Sundays. It, it could be the way that we offer up our lives, hopefully during the worship service, when we, whether we're singing or responding to a message. We're offering up our lives as well as our offering up our, our resources and our financial resources to God. Uh, that we would experience the presence of Jesus when we submit ourselves to God and offer up our lives in sacrifice as a living sacrifice. And we would experience the presence of Jesus as we gather around the Lord's table to celebrate Holy Communion, which we'll do a little bit later uh, this morning, okay? So inward journey, and then we go out, because most of your life is lived in, uh, you know, outside the church's walls and outside the, the worship service and, and beyond the corporate gathering times. We go out from these gatherings to experience still God's presence, but God's presence at work in the world. And, and we enter into God and join Him there. He's already there. He's already at your workplace tomorrow. You're not there yet, but he's already there, right? Or at your school uh, or at the place that you hang out. He's already there, and we have the opportunity to join him there and look for him there. So we go out into these, from these gatherings, we want to go experience God's presence in the world and uh, enter his mission, join him there. That's the outward journey. Uh, there's a new book by this uh, author named David Fitch, and one of the, this is one of, one of the things he says. He says, we not only gather in God's presence on Sundays, we live in his presence, we discern his presence, we witness to his presence in the world the other six days of the week, right? We want to see the presence of God here on Sundays, but also during the week. We serve his presence, we discern his presence, we witness to his presence in the world the other six days of the week. What we do on Sunday, David Fitch says, what we do on Sunday, tending to the presence of Christ as we gather together, enables us to discern that same presence at work in the rest of our lives and in our neighborhoods. So we get this, it's important that we gather together on Sundays to make that a high priority. That's even a higher priority than watching football. That's not sacrilegious to say that, is that? Okay, so 
we gather together on Sundays and we want to experience the presence of God among us. And then we want to go out and experience the presence of God out there in the world. And you say, well, that may be harder. There's a lot more distractions. There's a lot more pressures. There's a lot more people that don't share our faith. But it's the same Lord, the same Holy Spirit. If he's with you and he's in you, then he's going to go out with you. And, and wherever you're going, you know, he's already there waiting for you to join him and serve him there. Now, I do want to get to uh, part of this message to talk a little bit about justice before we wrap up. But uh, one of the things that's going on, as we all know, is that we are in a world of turmoil. And we're all feeling it. And, uh, you know, I don't even tweet and retweets, but I'm, I'm reading someone else's tweets every day. And uh, someone, someone wrote this uh, in, in Outreach Magazine. He says, never in my lifetime have the people of this country been so at odds with one another. Uh, no matter where you turn, people are ready to fight, choosing sides, vilifying those who disagree with them on matters of race, matters of class, matters of culture, gender, religion, politics. Uh, there even, you know, at least a, a couple months ago, even on whether to stand, sit, or kneel during the national anthem. You know, that people are just at each other. So disagreements are natural, you know. If everybody's thinking alike, then sometimes it means nobody's thinking very much. But right now what's happening is that increasingly when people disagree with each other, they demonize each other. They vilify each other. They say, you're a stupid idiot, or, or you're wrong, or you're a redneck, or you're racist because you disagree with me. And we've got to get over that. You know what Jesus says about that? Love your enemies and pray for those who mistreat you. Pray for them. doesn't mean you don't disagree. doesn't mean you don't voice your opinion. But you also don't demonize people. You don't ridicule them. You don't bully them. You don't devalue them, right? I think this is the place, you know, we know we have Christians on different sides of the political spectrums and members of different political parties. Uh, and that, that might be okay. Hopefully everybody votes their conscience and is doing the best they can to discern the, the path of righteousness and, and what's best for, for the nation and for the world. Uh, we're gonna end up in some different places. But what you can't do if you're a follower of Jesus is treat those who disagree with you as if they are your enemies as if they are valueless, as if they should be spit upon and yelled upon and, and uh, you know, degraded. Uh, that's what Jesus would not allow. You know what Jesus says about that? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. John, uh, John Perkins, who's kind of a civil rights leader, Christian minister, uh, many years ago, around, I think around 1970, he was uh, beaten and tortured by racist police in the South. And, uh, he almost was killed, and after a horrific night of torture in jail, uh, John Perkins underwent a crisis of faith, and he, he wrote this later on in his book called Welcoming Justice by John Perkins and Charles Marsh, uh, Charles Marsh and John Perkins. Uh, Perkins writes this, he says, it was time for me, that night in the jail cell, horrifically beaten, almost dead, it was time for me to, to decide if I really did believe what I'd so often professed that only in the love of Christ, not in the power of violence, is there hope for me or for the world. It's time for me to decide if I really believe that. I began to see how hate could destroy me. And in the end, I had to agree with Dr. King, Martin Luther King, that God wanted us to return good for evil, not evil for evil. Love your enemy, Jesus said, 
and I determined to do it. John Perkins. And so you know what he did? He accepted the, the mission of Jesus, uh, despite the fact that he had experienced a, you know, a lot of racism and violence. And uh, he, he decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace the broader mission of Jesus uh, to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to re work for the recovery of sight for the blind, and to set at liberty, tho liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he's given himself to that. He's, he's pretty old now, but he's still around, and he's given himself to that, to the mission of Jesus. And um, that's what we're to do, too. And the mission of Jesus is both the witness of sharing the good news of Jesus, which is what the world needs to hear, but also doing the good works of Jesus. In this book, uh, Generous Justice, I know a lot of you have this book. Uh, some of you, how many of you finished reading it? I think this is a really good book. And, and, uh, but you know what I found out, both in my own experience and from hearing from some of you? It's not the easiest book to read. Have you experienced that? In fact, I like books with really short chapters, like six pages or something. And there's some, there's some chapters in here that's like 30 pages or more, and it's tough. It's a little tough going through. Uh, I just want to say this. I, I've read, much, I read some, much of this book twice. It's a really, really good book. It's very worthwhile. So even if it's not breezy, fun reading, this is good meat. This is good meat, and I encourage you to, to stay with it if you have the book. Uh, one of the things they say in the book is that we can exercise justice. It often takes one of three forms. One is uh, just relief for those who are hurting, you know, clothing the poor, uh, providing food through the food bank, or, uh, you know, that, that this is justice, that people who don't have access to the same kinds of resources and comfort uh, and provisions that many of us enjoy, uh, it can be a just thing just to care for their needs. And so, you know, to provide home, uh, you know, shelter or food, or, uh, you know, it's all, we often call that relief. And uh, when there is a hurricane or something, sometimes we'll take up special offerings for World Vision or something. That's relief. When you're trying to help people through their crisis and help them manage and, and get through it okay, uh, that's relief and that can be a form of justice. But there's a second form of justice which is often called development. And development has to do with uh, not just meeting the needs of an of a immediate crisis, but development has to do with uh, doing what will actually help somebody to be, kind of really get on their feet and have a manageable life, have a better life. Uh, so development can be things like, uh, you know, digging a well or paying for the digging of a, a well so that people can have clean water. Uh, I think that development could be something like tutoring people so that they can you know, learn English better or so that they can get a better education, so that they can have a, a, high, a better quality of life, that that could be development too. So crisis, I mean, relief is often responding to an immediate crisis and a great need, but, uh, but justice is also about development and, and helping people do what they can to have a more sustainable life or to better their lot in life. And that could be, you know, from clean water to setting up a shelter or uh, starting a food bank or uh, things like that. Those are development. I, I think maybe medical clinics offering maybe free medical care as we sometimes do in Cambodia. Um, th that can be development. It's getting people through a crisis, but it's also helping them to better their lives. And then uh, in, in the book, uh, Generous Justice, Tim Keller talks about this third aspect of justice beyond relief and beyond development. It's often called reform or social reform. It's addressing maybe what we might call uh, systemic injustice. Sometimes governments are corrupt. 
there are things, like for example, uh, we're gonna show uh, this movie called 13th. It's based on, it, it's kind of like a commentary on the 13th Amendment and uh, the effects that that's had on our country. It, it's a movie, it's a film, it's a documentary film about the problem of mass incarceration in our country. One of the things they say is that 5% of the world's population is in the United States. We have 5% of the world's population, but we have 25% of the inmates of the world in our country. And is that a problem, and why is that? And there, there's, there's issues of uh, social justice that are uh, being addressed in the, in the film, and, and you may not agree with everything or the perspective, but we, we felt like uh, it has so much good stuff to say that is challenging that we need to think about. If we're gonna be people who pursue justice, then we're gonna to have to become educated about issues of justice. And sometimes they're controversial and people have different viewpoints, but we're gonna to have to learn more. And for us to learn, everything about this, for, for you to learn something new, you've gotta hear a perspective that may not be your own. Right? If you're gonna learn, you sometimes have to learn, you have to sometimes hear from people who disagree with you or with whom you disagree. And then you have to evaluate and weigh, you know, does their point of view have merit and, and should, it, should I, you know, get in line with it? Should I believe what they believe or not? But, uh, so we're gonna offer this kind of a forum, uh, the film and discussion. And if you come to the film, it's really, really important that you stay for the discussion afterward. We're, anyway, we're gonna do this on, on Saturday, February 25th. I think it's in your announcements. It's gonna be at the Lighthouse Center. It'll be from six to nine. We'll watch the film and we'll eat some dinner during the film and you can RSVP so that we'll have food for you. But um, after the film, we'll have some discussion. And I, I imagine we're gonna come out of different places regarding what we see, but it's really worth thinking about, pondering, discussing, and then we can talk about, well, how does this help us as we think about justice? So, so that's one thing we're doing. Uh, one thing that's in the news all the time now, and it is a justice issue, is how do we care for refugees? and how do we welcome them or should we welcome them and, and how do we care for refugees while also trying to maintain the safety of our own country and as you know, you know this is what the news is about every day these days and we're gonna have a, a workshop about the refugee issues and the workshop's gonna be put on by one of the uh, directors of World Relief here in the Seattle area. That's the organization that we partnered with when we did Advent Conspiracy you know, all those uh, refugee welcome kits that we assembled, uh, a lot of our financial offering. It's going to World Relief to help them in the resettlement of refugees. Uh, if there are refugees, they get resettled, which I hope will happen. But uh, we're gonna have a workshop about that, and that's next Sunday, a week from today. It'll be a, a lunch workshop at the Lighthouse Center, and uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing what the, the representative from World Relief says. They're a Christian organization, and they're gonna help us to think about these refugee issues biblically and also think about what can we do to respond. Okay, well, I, I'm almost out of time, but uh, before we go, I want you to see some, uh, a little video. We, we're gonna be able to show the video, Doug? Okay, so this video, some of you saw, how many of you were at Worship in the Park or Celebration in the Park, which was at Newport High School last August? Some of you were there? Okay, some of us were there. Something very wonderful happened there, um, besides the worship and the speaker. There was a testimony by somebody that many of us know, and her name is Erin King. And Erin King is the principal of this school, Phantom Lake Elementary School, and she shared some uh, about Jubilee Service Day, which had happened the day before, and then she shared some things about our church that I want you to hear as well. 
our staff.